Welcome to Harvest Time. My name is Chris Harper, and our host on this program is Pastor Gary Walton, the pastor of Harvest Baptist Church. We often spend these 25 minutes together telling you the stories of our church by interviewing our members and other friends of the ministry. We want to start by personally inviting you to church this Sunday. We have a single combined service, which is at 10.30 a.m. Sunday morning. We'd love to see you there. The service will continue to be available via live stream, which you can find at hbcguam.org, hbcguam.org. We also have Korean and Japanese translation available during that 10.30 a.m. service. Let's begin today's Harvest Time by welcoming Pastor Gary Walton. Hi, Pastor. Hey, Hoppa Day, Chris. Good to see you again today and glad to be connected with uh, those that are listening on, on uh, our audience uh, we're really thrilled to have as our special guest today, Michael Saunders, Pastor Michael Saunders, his wife, Rebecca, is with us as well. Uh, Michael, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Well, thank you, sir. Half a day. Uh, Michael's the pastor at Lexington Baptist Church in Lexington, Virginia. Been there for a few years. We'll ask you about that in just a minute. But you, this is not your first time on the island, right? You came to Guam back in 2003, right? Yes, sir. Back in 03. Uh, my wife and I graduated from Northland in, in May and married in June and came out here in July of 03. And I was a youth pastor for five years. Uh, my wife taught first grade and uh, it's fantastic to come back and connect with you know, so many people and feel old as you watch their kids are now in the, uh, the youth group and, um, man, we're dating ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're back uh, as the speaker for Pacific Rim Christian Camp, uh, teen week going on right now. Yes, and sir. then next week, we're going to follow up with junior camp. And God's already using your preaching ministry, your ministry of the word. And so we're so excited about that. But let's back up to uh, 2003. You guys were pretty young when you came out here, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, no kids. Uh, no kids. Yeah, living the life for each of the new, newlyweds. My wife and I are both 22. In fact, the first Sunday I was here, I got in trouble because uh, I was turned into the other pastors for putting my arm around one of the teens, <laughs> and it was my wife. <laughs> and they're like, she looks too young. It's like, no, no, she's, she's a keeper. But uh, yeah, we're out here, young pups. So tell me what you didn't know back then. <laughs> uh, every is everything a, a fair answer <laughs> no um you know we came in guns blazing so when you're 22 actually you know everything right so uh as years go on you realize how much you didn't know but you know what we when you leave you realize what you had and i think mm -hmm. that's one of the things that the island has that's hard to i don't even know if you can reproduce it elsewhere, the relationships we're able to have where we're seeing our teenagers Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, if they have games, we're there on Saturday and then we're seeing them on Sunday. So sometimes six, seven times a week where we went to the next ministry as a youth pastor in Richmond and we're seeing kids sometimes four times a month. Mm -hmm. And it's just hard to have that sustained relationship and impact um, the relationships. And when you're here, Thanksgiving's here, Christmas is here, and your church becomes your family. Mm. And in that sense, I feel like you're, you're getting closer to that Acts model of this is our family. Yeah. You know, Jesus told the disciples, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? This is my family. And I think that there's that sense of that here at Harvest, and um, we miss it and love it. 
Yeah, you guys were the youth pastor. You were the youth pastor for five years. Yes, sir. And um, you know, I've I've heard about your ministry many times, Michael. Uh, even though this is the first time we've actually met once you came here, but a lot of people have talked about the impact of your ministry and the lasting impact in a number of uh, kids' lives where you and Rebecca really, you didn't have any kids at the time. And you Correct. basically, I mean, you shared your lives with these teens. Your home was open. Kids were just with you all the time. Lots of kids whose lives were impacted. The, well, it, we had the privilege, like you said, of, of, of being kid-free at that point in time. Mm. Thank for our children. Mm. <laughs> Glad we have them. Um, they're listening, Hudson, Austin, McKenna. We love you. We miss you. Yeah, yeah. So you got three kids Three now, kiddos, right? Hudson Taylor, uh, Austin, Michael, McKenna, Joy. So 11, 10, and six and a half. Um, thankful that they have more of their mama than me in them. <laughs> but, you know, we came out, we didn't have kids. And I was talking to Chris earlier about my, my dad's ministry. And my parents had an open door. People were in our house all the time and they just, you know, besides my dad's preaching ministry, he just thought being a part of people's lives that you have to be around them. You have to know them. They have to know you and realize that you're a sinner just like them. You need Jesus just like them. And we're trying to do life together. And so that's kind of the model I saw growing up. And so, you know, to be honest, I don't, I don't feel like we were, we're just trying to follow the example I had and so having kids in our home, you have kids here that mom and dad are working hard. Mm -hmm. Parents that gave up their dream in a foreign country and came here to try to give their kids one bit of an American education and selling their home, leaving a high paying job and coming here and open up a smaller shop, but they're working seven to 11 and the kids have no place to go. And if they have no place to go, they're either going to get in trouble or somebody's going to love on them and bring them in. And so we try to go with option B, just, you know, have our home open and have them come in. Again, we had the time um, to be able to invest ourselves. And, and in teen ministry, it's a blessing to see kids make simple steps. And so as you feel like you're the one leading them, quote unquote, you see their steps of faith and you realize in some steps, they're, since they're teaching you. Right. So we had kids that, got baptized knowing, not knowing what would happen when they got home at 15. We had kids whose parents told them they couldn't go. They wanted to go into ministry in Christian college. And mom and dad said, no, you're going to be a nurse or a doctor. And when they're told you need to just submit to mom and dad and, and follow and just pray and see the Lord work through that. And then a year later have kids like Minchik all of a sudden just like, hey, you can go, go, go. You know what? We, if that's what you feel like God wants you to do, go for it. And so in that sense, the kids and their simple faith um, and risky, you know, risking a lot of things with their family and be willing to take big steps for the Lord. I feel like they were, in a sense, teaching us a lot of those times. I think that's probably true all throughout ministry. Uh, I can look back on those early 20 years, right? You're really forming sort of a ministry philosophy and you learn as you go and you learn from people that you're serving. Yeah. Yeah, it's really true. Um, we're kind of talking about this idea. The Bible uses words words like, you know, make disciples. Yes, we, we use terms like discipleship. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, sir. So in it, just investing um, in their life. So doing life together, you know, Dr. Ole used to always talk about, sorry, from Northland, the mm -hmm. college I went to, the president of my college used to always talk about life touching life. Mm -hmm. And you have to be with people. And again, you just do life together. So see where they're at, try to assess where they're at, what they need. If they know Jesus, 
help them take the next step. If they don't know Jesus, love on them and show them Jesus. Um, people are going to get to messes. You got to be there with them. They're going to be there with your messes. And so it's trying to do life together and trying to, to realize that we don't have all the answers, but Jesus does. And if we stick together, keep going to his word, we're going to be all right because the one that began the good work in us, he'll complete it. And that's where our hope is. And so he'll continue to make us more like him if we just continue to walk down the right road. Man, so many people have no concept of church like that. Uh, church for them, just because of you know how they've grown up and what they've ever seen is you know you come and you attend and you sit and you watch and you know you try to learn something and then you go away and that's sort of the church model. You're talking about something entirely different. I mean, you use terms like life touching life, yeah. like sharing life together. Yeah, that's Matthew 18. So if you read Matthew 18, the disciples are arguing over. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And then you, you continue to see this discussion going on and on uh, throughout the Gospels. And Jesus says, let me show you who the greatest is. And he brings a little child along. So the one that humbles himself first. So it's entering the kingdom of God. And if you continue to read through Matthew 18, you see this aspect of what the church is supposed to look like. So first you come in humbly to the Lord. Then he says, what happens if a sheep goes astray? Well, you go and find that sheep, you leave the 99 to come, and some people take that as, well, that's your job, Pastor Gary. Mm -hmm. You go find the lost sheep. No, Jesus said, this is who the greatest is. These are the people that are following me. They'll leave. They'll go find the one. There's the personal accountability, and they come back. Well, what happens if they've offended you? Well, you need to go to them one-on-one. -on -one. You got to talk to them. Should And you're not supposed to offend them, right? You can't lead another one into sin. And so then you start getting the church involved, and that's the second time you see the word church in the book of Matthew, where he says, you know, if you can't resolve this thing. We got to take this thing to the church, and that's where a lot of those answers are going to be. Jesus loves the church. He died for the church. He bled for the church. He uses the church to display his manifold wisdom and glory. And so the church is essential, but there's that sense of accountability. You get to the end of Matthew 18, and if somebody's wronged you, you forgive them. How many mm -hmm. times? You keep forgiving them. But that sense of we're together, and there's personal accountability that if I'm here, I'm accountable to the brother or sister next to me. And if I'm here, they, they should be accountable to me. They should be keeping me in line because we need each other. There's no mavericks in the Christian faith. So we have to do life together. Um, and that's kind of been one of the things that we've seen. Again, I praise God for my upbringing and being able to have parents that instill that in me beyond just showing up in church, that we do life together and you need to be held accountable because we go off track sometimes. We deceive our own selves. Our hearts are just desperately wicked. And so, um, you know, it's something that I'm thankful for, Lord's being able to use my parents in that way. So you grew up in a family, a Christian family, in fact, a ministry family. Your yes, dad sir. was a pastor. I mean, so you became a pastor. You're a, you're a lead pastor now. You're a youth pastor for a while. Is that just because your dad was it? I mean, how does that all happen? <laughs> so funny you say that. Uh, that is not something I wanted to be when I was a kid. So okay. I was in junior high. I think I was telling you about this. Uh, I, I did not like the church when I was in junior high. Was upset with everything that's kind of going on. The Lord used my youth pastor in my life to kind of help turn things around. And after that, ninth, tenth grade, somewhere in that time, I realized this is what I want to do with my life. I felt like the Lord leading, leading me in that direction to help teenagers. Never thought I'd be in this position as a lead pastor, uh, my wife and I, we started dating. She asked if I'd ever be a senior pastor. I was like, absolutely not. I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Jesus smiles at our statements and 
Um, you know, his plan is better. I wouldn't, wouldn't want to be doing anything else anymore. Love working with teens, but man, they're going to kill me. I, I'm out of energy. I'm dead <laughs> already. Um, tired. But, um, you know, he, Lord worked in that way. It's not something I thought I was going to be doing, but uh, I'm thankful I'm doing it and I love it. So you left here uh, in... Uh 08. 08. May 28th, 2008. Okay. And then you were a youth pastor in the States in, in Virginia for yes, another eight years. Eight years, right? yes, sir. And then how long have you been at the church that you're the lead pastor? In at? September, it'll be five. Okay. Five years. That's yes, a, a transition too, right? From kind of that role of really pouring yourself into the lives of teens to leading a kind of leading the church family. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's different. You know, people are still people. Sin is still sin. Um you know, but there's a different weight, a little different weight that you feel. But uh, God gives grace for what you need. He equips us for the road ahead. And I think that same trepidation when we came out here at 22, like first I'm married, like, can I handle this? Right. Can I handle a, a youth ministry here? We got to Richmond, can I handle this? And the Lord gives grace. Same thing when we got to Lexington, like, oof, that that first Sunday you sit down behind the desk, like, yeah. But God gives grace, and He equips you for the job ahead, and and He's been sufficient all the way through. God really blessed your ministry when you were here. Um, we've talked about it a little bit. Uh, you know, I've uh, well, there's a lot of people around here now or, or in in ministry that were part of that teen group. Yeah, right. And that I think that's connected with that, just pouring ourselves into that life, touching life. Um, and so there's some individual stories. But God kind of grew the ministry together yes, too, sir. right? You told me, you know, some of the things that happened during those years. Yeah, and we started off kind of in the same model. I was telling you that I grew up in, where kind of the youth pastor did everything, and things were going well. The kids were great, teens were great, but having other youth to staff here, which are, which are great, um, having youth staff step in. And they start taking on more leadership role. I mean, as you know, in a church of this size, like, you know, we need Pastor Gary to meet with every member this week. <laughs> you can't, you can't do it. So you need other people to help step up because you can't be there for everybody. And so really, I, to be honest, um, you know, as much as our pride likes to feel like it was us, we had a team of 30 youth staff that were meeting with kids on a regular basis. So you had guys going, I'm going to meet with these five kids every week for the next five years. And you, you can't duplicate that elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and they could reach those kids in a way I could not. And so we had gals meet with gals, guys meet with guys, uh, you know, adults meeting with these kids and just pouring in them. Some were, were harvest staff, some were, you know, just church people coming and just pouring in. We had guys like uh, Warren Hahn come in. And he's like, I don't know if I could do the games. I don't know if I can do this. I said, Uncle Warren, we just need you to come and just pray. And mm -hmm. so every Wednesday, he'd just come in and just pray for God to do work. And so really, it was the numerous staff that we had because Cliff Paulin is going to be able to reach people I can't. Kevin and Fook is going to be able to reach people I can't and vice versa. So the different guys that we had coming in, they were able to connect with kids in a different way. And just like, hey, just find five or six and pour your time into them. Um, and that continued to expand. So... You know, we were leaving, youth group was growing, we were running close to 150 on a regular basis. But to me, I, I think the key was having staff that was willing to individually invest. And right. so when that one kid didn't show, they had that follow-up from a staff, hey, where are you at? What are mm -hmm. you doing? How can we help? Yeah, it's fun thinking back on, uh, you know, on those times. 
you guys left in 2008 and up to a week ago. Th this is your first time back. Yes, sir. Uh, what's the emotions kind of getting back here for both you and Re yeah. Rebecca? Well, the emotions are high. You're not sure if that's what else jet lag and, <laughs> <laughs> and what else not. But um, I think I said Sunday morning, I wasn't sure if I should shout, I should laugh. The fact that you guys actually asked me to come back <laughs> or if I should cry. It was, um, you know, it's sweet to be back and to be able to be in a place that w this is where everything for us started. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, it's really special. The relationships, again, you just can't, you can't duplicate that in every other scenario. Just you know, even in our own facility, which I love our church, Lexington, but we have people that live 45 minutes north of the church, 30 minutes south, 45 minutes west, and you can't just meet with them like you could here. Right. If that was true here, they'd be, be all in the water, the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's that's one aspect, just the difference, you know, where we're at. Uh, just geographically, it's harder to do some of that, those ministry things. And so where you have that opportunity, it's just a blessing. Um, camp started when you were here, I think in yes, 2004. Sir. So 2004. just, a, you know, just a year or so after you came, which now has been, you know, summer camp has been going on here at yeah. Harvest. I think it was called Guahan, Guahan Christian Camp. And now Pacific Rim uh, Christian Camp. Yes, sir. So what was that like, you know, kind of launching a camp? Chaos. <laughs> I'm sure it was, yeah. Uh, Pastor Heron kind of tasked us with it. And um, we started off and we had three tents for the guys. We we're at Jeff Pirates Cove. It was our first year. And the guys were sleeping outside in tents and just sweltering heat. <laughs> the girls were in AC in a little in a unit. And we had we had two interns that summer. You know, you look at the teams now, like, oh my soul, the stuff mm -hmm. we could have been able to do. We had two interns and they were great. Uh, Rob Hall and Brian Morgan, and they helped with the guys and helped doing some of the games. We were the counselors and we were the op staff and um, Pastor Jeff Fain, who used to be the former youth pastor, came out and spoke that year. Yeah. Uh, so it was neat. I mean, just having that connection. So to be able to see Jeff Fain then and some of the kids that he knew, as soon as they saw him coming up, give him a hug. Hmm. And so now being on that side, yeah, uh, the relationships. And so that kind of helped in the for him speaking. But um, yeah, so it was great. So it was a little bit of chaos. But you know, as years went on, you got somebody like Ken who was able to come in. And the next year we started off and Ken got down there like, hey, you're you're rolling, buddy. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so ready to hand it off as quick as we could. But um thankful that we have people that were gifted to do those things. Well, the vision um and the passion to get something launched is very, you know, that's very hard and it's a big piece of it. We are super thankful for Pastor Ken and Sam and really what they've done with yeah. that camping ministry. You know, God's really blessing. We, I think we have 105 teens, yeah. you know, uh, in camp this week and ready to hear God's word. And, you know, that's really been uh, been awesome um, to see that. Um, so you're preaching at camp this, yes, sir. this week and then next with the junior camp. What, what are some of the burdens that you really hope, you know, when you leave here that some things will be planted that maybe would stay with them? Yeah, so we're, we're working through the book of Philippians. Um, it's four chapters. And so starting off for those that know Christ as their savior, we're trying to, hopefully their devotions are in Philippians. The morning messages are Philippians overviews, Philippians one, two, three, and four. And then at night, they're key texts in Philippians. And hoping first that we're trying to teach them how to read the Bible as we're going through it. And so how to study the Bible, hoping that'll be one outcome for those that know Christ as their savior. We're going to be sharing on Philippians three. 
clear presentation of the gospel. And for those that don't know the Savior, encourage him, hey, come to him. There's nothing better. And His arms are open wide and absolutely to come. Yeah. And so we're praying that the Lord will work there. But besides that, if you work through just some of the things that we're focusing in on in Philippians 1 through 4, we mentioned that first, first day, Monday night's walking worthy. And it's that sense of balancing the scales Paul talks about and what Jesus has called us to be, we need to be. In Philippians 2, when we went through last night, uh, that is the life of Christ and how he he came down from heaven. He descended for us. He became a slave. He became obedient even to death of the cross. And God's exalted him and given him a name. And that's the Savior that we look to. Tonight, we're talking about that citizenship in heaven, making sure that that's where that is. We talk about right thinking in Philippians chapter 4. And then the last day on Friday night, about forgetting those things which are behind and pushing forward to what's before. So hoping that, again, the, those that know Christ will end up walking away with appreciation for their Savior they will walk worthy. Their minds would be thinking the right things. They would embrace their citizenship and uh, that they would be pressing on to the things which are before. Teen years can be challenging. I'm not saying that they're hard for everybody. I mean, there's lots of teens and lots of families that really thrive in their right. teen years. I don't want to give the impression that, man, you know, sometimes you get this idea, teen years are horrible. And I don't think that's true for everybody, but there's a lot of challenges. Things yes, are sir. changing. Uh, kids are starting to think through what they believe, what they think about life. And you know, we live in a world that's changing, you know, real rapidly too. Um, maybe I'll come at from this angle, Michael. I mean, as a parent, you're just getting started uh, <laughs> yes, sir. In, the, in the teen the years. The tween years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in the tweens. Anything that you're learning now from a parent, parental perspective? Yeah. Um, well, in, the, in youth ministry, you have them for two hours and you send them home. Uh-huh. So they're in our home all the time. And I jokingly say to our church that teens have the spiritual gift of sniffing out hypocrisy. <laughs> and so uh, when you're home, when you ask them to do yeah, something, right. they are quick to point out, well, you're not. And so you see that even in our own home, our kids are, in, and I'm, I mean this in, as best as I can say it, pointing out our flaws mm. and being sandpaper to help try to shape us. Like it's hard to ask them to do something you're not willing to do. So you need to be in church. You need to be singing with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, using those songs and hymns to admonish one another. And if they watch and you're not doing it, they're going to call you out um, because you're going to be doing it the next Sunday. So you're hitting these tween years. You see the emotion, the testosterone, which all that stuff that we saw in those teens, but it's it's constant. Mm -hmm. And so the parents that we worked with over those years, and you could see that sense of wearing down um, when, the, when there's pushback from the kids – when they're acting immature, you know, uh, they're 13, 14. So they're that age for a reason. So if they're acting immature, but holding the line, loving the kids where they're at and just being patient. And that's something that you see now on this end, it's not easy hmm. to just stay with it, hold the line, um, love them where they're at, Continue to have that open dialogue. Make sure you're asking questions. And I think, uh, I mean, Dr. Nagy told me today, Dr. Nagy asked about just making sure you're the number one influence in their life, which was, I thought, great advice even for our own family kids. But uh, fighting for your home. So if that means you got to take one or two hours less at work so you can be there more, that means that you need to cut out extracurricular. I feel like here, especially, 
as busy as things are, not just at the school, but in people's lives, kids had to be, you got to play three instruments. You got to be in beta. You got to be academic, this or that. You got to be able to play sports. You got to get your, you know, your school list, all that done. So you could maybe get a scholarship here or there. Um, and sometimes the academic kind of overrid the spiritual. Mm-hmm. And so what was most important, you know, your treasure is where your treasure is. That's where your heart is also. And, you know, for those parents at home and what we're kind of seeing now, trying to be that number one influence and trying to just be patient and hold those lines where we need to. If you were to say, man, if I, you know, uh, kind of throughout this course of ministry years, uh, early on teens now, uh, serving kind of shepherding a whole church family, anything that you would say would be like maybe kind of the core of your, of your life burdens and then maybe how God's used that to, to direct your path so far. So personally for, for Beck and I is trying to as best we can just invest in the lives of the people God puts in our path. I've told you second, one of the things we're trying to do is trying to seek the welfare of our city. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife is, was president of the PTA uh, in the public school where we're at in Lexington. In July, I'll be on um, the, the city school board. We're trying to get involved in foster care. We started foster care, uh, foster Rockbridge in our area. That's Rockbridge is our county in, in Virginia and trying to seek the welfare of the city and trying to help people where they're at not just to help them and not just on the external, but also you want to help them spiritually. Then for our church, uh, personally, is that we are what God's called us to be, that we are that salt and light in a dark and dying world. And that comes from that Matthew 18, I'm uh, really passionate about that for our own mm. church, that we have to be accountable. We have to understand how important the local church is. And I think that's something that for me, going over to the lead pastorate spot, realizing I feel like that was a deficiency for many Christians, not not at Lexington or at Emmanuel or the church I grew up at at Trinity Baptist. It was that was just American Christendom, like you said, come and go, mm. come and go, come and go. And like Jesus died for the church. He bled for it. He uses it to display his manifold wisdom and glory. It's that important to him. The church ought to be that important to you. That's where your life needs to center around. So that's one of the things I think that's a passion for me is going, it's not just, just cause it's my job. I'm right. trying to butter my own bread. Going, this, um, the more and more we study on it and preach on it going, it's just an essential, it's a gift God's given us. And I think people don't realize what they have. Yeah, that's challenging. That's really encouraging. Listen, man, thank you for being willing to come out. I know well, that it's a uh, sacrifice. We had hoped, in fact, planned that you and Rebecca would be here last, last summer. Yeah. COVID kind of put an ax on that, and it's made you've got a really busy this summer. Thank you to your church. I, I know that it's a sacrifice for them as well to be able to release you to come and uh, serve in this way and be away from your kids. So I know there's a lot of stuff going on. Thanks for being willing to come. We're praying, and we're just praying that God would use your ministry in a powerful way, and it's been cool to see what God's done already. So we'll keep praying. Um, Thank you, sir. Thanks for being here. Thanks. God bless. And thank you for listening to Harvest Time. And now this week at Harvest, we do have a single combined service, and we really want to personally invite you to be there. 1030 a.m. Sunday morning. Certainly hope you can be there. The service is also available via live stream. You can find that at hbcguam.org hbcguam.org. And if you attend the service, we do have Korean and Japanese translation that will be available. We hope to see you there. Thanks again 
for listening to Harvest Time. 